Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today that they can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I know before we do our Bible confession, I want to tell you a really quick Smith story about Greta. It was one I, I don't think I've ever told you, but I was reminded this morning while I was putting in eye drops. So this is not current, but it's something that I was reminded of. I was putting in eye drops this morning, and she, by the way, she cannot put on in the eye drops. She cannot use contacts. Her eyes be blinking so much, you just can't. It, listen, you got to hold her eye open, and then even that's a challenge. But I was putting in eye drops this morning, and I remembered this. One day, we're getting ready for church, and I'm putting in eye drops. And you know what happens when you put in eye drops. They don't just stay in your eye. At some point in time, you're in there, but the, the drops start running down your, down your face. Greta comes into the bathroom while I'm doing that, and she stops, and she touches me. She says, baby, I know my beauty make you cry. <laughs> she said, I know. It's all right. I know. I know. So, that's the woman I live with. Let's say our Bible, let's say our Bible confession. Whatever form your Bible takes, hold it up with me. If it's, if it's too heavy to hold up, just like grip it real tight like you, like you love it. Let's say this. Let's go. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God-breathed, and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, family, I know I've given you ratings before. Like I would say, the, the message is rated MN. M for mature, M for necessary. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw another one at you. Just one that I, just, I just, just popped into my head, so I had to show it to you. Because the message today, let's see this image. This is your first image for today. The message today is beefy. And, and by beefy, I mean I'm going to give you a lot to think about. You're going to be able to chew on it. If you had, I thought about buying like 100 buns and passing out hamburger buns today. <laughs> but I thought that would have been over the top because you don't get nobody no bun without no, <laughs> no real food in it. Y'all would have been like, you playing with me, pastor. Better put some chicken in there. Give me a Chick-fil-A sandwich or something. <laughs> I, you could have. You know we'll feed you now. But that, I want to get that image because in, in all seriousness, what I am attempting to do is remind you that my, my, not my job, probably my, my bent, my natural uh, 
way of doing things is I present to you a mirror. And it's your job to see whether or not you see your reflection in that mirror. And if you see your reflection in that mirror, you're the ones that need to make the adjustment and do something about it. My parental nature says that I need to make sure that I take you from a place of dependency to independent. You, you must be able to stand on your own because if your pastor's not there, if your prayer partner's not there, if the person that gave you salvation or ministered the baptism of the Holy Spirit to you is not there, you need to know that within you, you have everything that you need. Here comes your message today. You know our starting point. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 in the voice. It reads like this. One day when Moses was shepherding the, the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, he guided the flock away from its usual pasture to the other side of the desert and came to the place known as Horeb where the mountain of God stood. There the special messenger of the eternal appeared to Moses in a fiery blaze from within the bush. Moses looked again at the bush as it blazed, but to his amazement, amazement, the bush did not burn up in flames. Moses said to himself, why is this bush not burning up? I need to move a little closer to get a better look at this amazing sight. When the eternal one saw Moses approach the burning bush to observe it more closely, he called out to him from within the bush. God said, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I'm right here. God says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals and stand barefoot on the ground in my presence for this ground is holy ground. We've already locked in on the fact that this bush was amazing because of what was in it. And you and I are amazing because of what's in us. When God came to reside on the inside of us, he ignited our, our, our spirit and we burst into flame. And that flame is greater than anything that comes to consume us. That is not to say, though, that the fire that burns on the outside of us has no effect on us or is powerless to have an effect on us. Quite the opposite of true is true. The fire that rages on the outside of us, those fires have the potential, say potential, have the potential to affect us. Those fires that, that come our way, what they're looking to do is from the outside, apply spiritual pressure on the inside to get us to move away from our commitment and devotion to God. We're talking about those fires that life brings your way, that heat the devil puts on you, those flames people throw your way. All those things are pressing you, and they're pressing you, oddly enough, to get you to answer one teeny weeny simple question. You know the question. The question is, is your faith for sale? That's your test question. It's a test question you got to deal with every day. Is your faith for sale? And when we're talking about those flames that put pressure on you, that heat, we said we could group them into three levels of heat. Here you go. Fire intensities or heat can be grouped as low heat, moderate heat, or high heat. And because we were already talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3, we said we're going to start at high heat and work our way backwards through the list instead of going from low heat to the other way. Now, Daniel, that book gave us a perfect starting point for high heat. Why? Because the Bible says not only did they go in a fiery furnace, the king heated it up, what, seven times hotter than it was before. 
And in that discussion, we introduced you to high heat by talking about the high heat of peer pressure. We stay on high heat today. Our lesson comes from none other than the precious lamb of God himself, Jesus. And what is our lesson for today? The high heat of abandonment and loss. Family, Jesus went through a lot of high heat situations as he did what he had to do to put us in position to be right with God. All the things that he did in his life, all the all the culmination of all his activities in order for him to be successful, he had to sustain and, and deal with pain and ridicule and torture and slander. All those things he had to deal with in order to, you know, become the savior that we needed him to be. And every step of the way, he was met with that question. Is your faith for sale? We're going to initiate this discussion by stepping into the Bible, the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew, basically chapters 26 and 27, going to be our friends today. We're going to dabble out in a verse or two in Luke, but if you're taking notes, Matthew 26 through 27, that's where we're pretty much locked in. But we're going to introduce this conversation in our discussion. We're going to jump right into it. At the moment where Jesus is experiencing the betrayal of Judas or betrayal by Judas, who's one of the disciples. Here we go. This is Matthew 26, verses 48 through 50 in the easy to read. And I also add in from the Passion Translation, Luke chapter 22, verses 47 through 48. In Matthew, Judas planned to do something to show them which one was Jesus. He said, the one I kiss will be Jesus. Arrest him. So he went to Jesus and said, hello, teacher. Then Judas kissed them. Jesus answered, friend. Do the thing you came to do. Don't be playing with me. You know what you came here to do. Then the men came and grabbed Jesus and arrested him. Now, I have this one here for Luke because Luke, as in another item here of a compassionate nature, Luke says, starting in verse 47, chapter 22 of the Passion, no sooner had he finished speaking when suddenly a mob approached and in front of the mob was his disciple, Judas, leading the pack. He walked, close, he walked up close to Jesus and greeted him with a kiss, for he had agreed to give the religious leaders a sign saying, the one I kiss is the one to seize. Jesus looked at him with sorrow, important word there, and says, a kiss, Judas? I believe if he was in our day, he put in the back of that, really? You know how you say that when people do something say, really? Really? So, I mean, when I read that, y'all say, I want y'all to say, really? Right, here we go. A kiss, Judas? Really? That's, is this how you going to do me? Really? Jesus says, a kiss, Judas. Are you really going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? The lesson here 
involves something that we're going to talk about later in this session, but it's too in your face right now for me not to mention it. Many of us have had so many experiences in our life that if I were to go past this point right here, it would be an insult to you. I want you to notice something. Luke says Judas kissed Jesus. That's a display of affection by someone who's close to you. Matthew comes straight out and throws a word out there, a covenant word, friend. Family, some of the highest heat situations, the biggest flames you're going to see in your life come through fire starters who wear the label friend. It was a friend. And Luke, I like he has that word in there, betray, or we could say betrayal, whatever that form word is the word he uses. And there is no doubt that Judas betrays Jesus here. That word is appropriately placed. But I'm going to take that word betray or betrayal, and I'm going to roll it up into a much bigger word, abandonment. Loved ones, betrayal by a friend is an act of abandoning the friendship. It is an act that breaks the relational code. A husband's betrayal of his wife is an act of abandoning the marriage. It is an act that breaks the relational code. A wife's betrayal of her husband is an act of abandoning the marriage. It's an act that breaks the relational code. Here we have betrayal. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus deals with the betrayal. He doesn't flip out. He holds his point and his declaration that my faith is not for sale. But what about us? How would we respond? How do you respond when you have to deal with betrayal by a friend? It's something that we all got to wrestle with because betrayal stirs up emotions that can become vengeful. And when emotions become vengeful, you begin to think about, even if you don't actually do it, you begin to think about things that you can do to get some get back. And get back can go much farther than you ever thought you would before you started to get that get back. What do you do when a friend betrays you? Do you put your faith up for sale or do you hold on firm to it? This moment with Judas is just an initial spark. It's just an initial spark because the flame that's really going to engulf Jesus, it's coming. But this ain't it. This is just an initial thing. 
And before we go any deeper in talking about all the things that Jesus is going to have to go through, we have to pause, we must pause to at a minimum acknowledge something. What we need to acknowledge is this, that Jesus, he went to the cross and endured what he endured willingly. He stepped into the fiery furnace of all of these upcoming instances and activities for you and for me. Not because he had to, but because, gosh, to give us the opportunity, he gave himself up to do that. I want you to see that, though, because he didn't have to do it. Watch. This is Matthew 26, verses 51 through 54 in the easy to read, and then just verse 53 in the voice and in the message Bible. Verse 51, when that happened, and what, what, when what happened? When Judas gave him up, when Judas had ratted him out, betrayed him with a kiss. When that happened, one of the followers with Jesus grabbed his sword and pulled it out. He swung it at the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus said to the man, put your sword back in its place. People, use sword, people who use swords will be killed by swords. Surely you, don't, you know I could ask my father and he would give me more than 12 armies of angels. But it must happen this way to show the truth of what the scripture said. Now, in the message and in the voice, he says this, verse 53 only. Don't you realize that I am able right now to call my father and 12 companies more if I want them of fighting angels would be here battle ready? The voice. Surely you realize if I call my father, he would send 12 legions of messengers to rescue me. So Jesus had a way out if he wanted it. He had a means to call it quits if that's what he wanted to do. If at some point the fire and the pressure of, of trying to do everything he, he wanted to do or decided he was going to do when he first came down here, if that ever was greater than his desire to fulfill God's will, he could have pulled the plug at any moment. But he didn't. And he didn't not because he had to, but because he didn't want to leave us in the position that we were in. Notice this, though. I want you to say this. Say, most of us, most of us may, not may not have taken, taken the, same position. the same position. You see, even under the high heat of everything he was going through, Jesus kept his focus, and he maintained that his faith was not for sale. Most of us have gone through tough times at some level. We have. 
Most people have gone through some kind of tough times. And in going through some tough times, what happens? Well, you kind of deal with it the best that you can. And when you ask people about their tough times, you got to be careful because your, your idea of a tough time may not be somebody else's idea of a tough time. You may be thinking you're having a tough time, and then when you share it with them, they look, that's all? That's all you're going through? So we don't want to get to comparing whose tough time is greater than somebody else's tough time. What we just want to say is we've all gone through some semblance of tough times. And if I were to line everybody up and ask them, hey, listen, do you think you went through your tough time strong in a good way? I believe most people would look back on it now and say, you know what? I think I did the best that I could. I think that I really did deal with it with, with, all, that I, with all that I had. Loved ones, but how, much, how many of us could say that we could have gone through for us what Jesus went through for us? It was a lot. This man went through one of the most horrifying and agonizing personal experiences in history. And in going through this experience, he still held on to his faith. How many of us could have done that? You know what? Let's role play. For just a moment, I want you to assume that each and every one of us, so 100% of us, have the opportunity to walk in Jesus' shoes. We have the opportunity to step up to the plate and say, hey, give me a shot at the crown. Give me a shot at being the savior of the whole world. We've already said that this, you know, initial stuff that's going on here with, 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 with Judas, all that stuff is preliminary. But I want you to notice this, because I, I, I think it's going to really bring it home to us when we begin to do this role play. Because that simple and direct question of whether or not your faith is for sale is not as simple and direct as you think it is when you begin to compare it against what life throws at you. There are times that you probably don't hold on to your faith as much as you think after you can look back on it and see how you acted in that situation. Let's go a little bit farther into this. At some point in time, Jesus gets arrested. And they take him to the home or the, the building, I think it's the house, of the high priest. His name is Caiaphas. Caiaphas. I think he said Caiaphas. And when he's standing before Caiaphas, Caiaphas asks him a simple question. He says, are you the son of God? And Jesus said, yep, that's me. And now look at Caiaphas' response. This is Matthew, easy to read version, chapter 26, verses 65 through 67. Remember, we're all, we're all Jesus at this point. Here we go. When the high priest heard this, he tore his clothes in anger. 
He said, this man has said things that insult God. We don't need any more witnesses. You all heard his insulting words. What do you think? The Jewish leaders answered, he is guilty and he must die. Then some there spit in Jesus' face and they hit him with their fists. Others slapped him. Now, we stepped into this situation with 100% of us wanting to be Jesus. <laughs> ah, you are smart cookies. Let's do some accounting of how many of us still remain after some stuff start going down. It says, they say he guilty, he must die. Then some there spit in his face, we lose 50% right there. <laughs> At least 50. They spit in your face, and the moment you get spit in your face, you're like, did you just spit in my face? And realize you now have the spiritual confidence of Jesus. So once they spit in your face, you're like, you know what? You blind. You got leprosy. You, you know what? You got whatever disease. You know what? I'm going to get this on you. You start dishing out stuff left and right. Got the nerve to spit on me. You don't know who you're spitting on. Then spit on you and got you mad. Got you all, all doing Darth Vader. <laughs> you dare spit on me. Now you're going to feel the wrath of the force. You are making sure that they realize that they have pissed you off. Spit on me. At least 50% gone. And you know what? At least another 40%. When they start hitting you with fists and slapping on you, we, we down to 10% quickly. And this is only family preliminary fire. We, we haven't gotten into the, to the real high heat yet. And because of some spit and some hitting and some slapping, what began as 100% of us that thought we could do what Jesus said, what Jesus did, didn't make it. All of this is just pregame fire. The real fire is soon to come. Before we get into the real fire, though, Remember this. This is Jesus in this position after having been betrayed or we said abandoned by a friend. And that abandonment, you could say, okay, Judas did what he did. And as a matter of fact, Jesus said that the scripture, it must happen this way because the scripture said, but remember it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't feel it. He said he was, Luke said he responded in sorrow. 
you're going to betray me with a kiss? After all we've been through, you're going to just betray me with a kiss? He responded in sorrow. Let me make it a little bit more weighty, though. The Bible says that Judas betrayed Jesus, and that is true. It is true. Indeed, one disciple betrayed him, but all of them abandoned him. All of them abandoned him. You know that part when they came and grabbed Jesus and the, the person took off the sword and cut off the ear? If we were to keep reading there, this is what we would see. Matthew 26, verses 50, chapter 26, verse 56, easy to read. But all these things have happened to show the full meaning of what the prophets wrote. Here it is. Then how many of Jesus' followers? Then all of Jesus' Jesus's followers left him and ran away. All of them. Let me ask you something. I realize that some of us may be able to keep our bearings with the abandonment or betrayal, if you want to use that word, of, of one friend, but all of them? Do you think that you would still hold firm that your faith is not for sale if all your friends abandon you? It's in the case of Jesus. And yet his faith is still not for sale. And let us not forget that Peter outright denied Jesus. You have Judas and you have Peter. But we can't let it go off that easy because it's weightier than that. Many people that study, study the Bible, I'm not trying to make light of people any kind of way here, but many people that study the Bible, they make a big deal out of Judas betrayed Jesus, and they make a big deal out of, and Peter had the nerve to deny Jesus three times. Just denied the Lord. Well, you know what? We, we are going to be studious enough to where we put the blame of abandonment on everybody who needs to be blamed for abandoning. Notice, right before, right before Jesus gets arrested, this is after the Last Supper and before they come and apprehend him with Judas. Notice this. Jesus is talking to his boys. Matthew 26, verses 31 through 35, easy to read. Jesus told the followers tonight, you will all lose your faith in me. The scriptures say, I will kill the shepherd and the sheep will run away. But after I am killed, I will rise from, the death, from death. Then I will go into Galilee and I will be there before you. I will be there before you go there. Now here go Peter. Peter answered, all other followers may lose faith in you. But my faith will, what is this word? Never be shaken. Jesus answered, the truth is, tonight, you will say you don't know me, 
you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Peter answered, I will. What's that word? I will never say I don't know you. I will even die with you. And here it is. And all the other followers did what? Said the same thing. So we give Peter a hard rap by saying, I will never leave you. I will never be shaken. I will never say, I don't know you. I will die with you. But you know what? James said it. John said it. Andrew said it. Bartholomew or Nathaniel, he said it. James the lesser or the younger, that rascal said it. Judas said it. Jude said it, or he called him Thaddeus, whatever you want to call him. Matthew or Levi, that rascal said it. Philip said it. Simon the Zealot said it. Thomas said it. They all said it. They all said, hey, I will never say I don't know you. I will even die with you. And when they came and grabbed Jesus, them rascals ran away. <laughs> but let's just stick with Peter for now, because the Bible tells us that he denied Jesus. While Jesus is in Caiaphas' house getting whipped on and spit and slapped, Peter is in the courtyard and somebody comes up to him and says, hey, aren't you one of those people that was with Jesus? And Peter says, no, you got me confused with somebody else. And they're like, no, I think, I think you was with him. Peter's like, Go on now. I told you that's not, that's not me. <laughs> and we pick up Peter's exchange with these people on his third time. Because in spite of his assertion of what he wasn't going to do, it happened just as Jesus prophesied. Here we go. The third time. Matthew chapter 26, verse 74 75. Then Peter began to curse. He said, I swear to God, I don't know the man. As soon as he said this, a rooster crowed. Then he remembered what Jesus had told him. Before the rooster crows, you will say three times that I don't know that you don't know me. Then Peter went outside and he cried bitterly. Now, the Bible does not say this, family, but I'm going to make a claim. And I believe in my heart that this claim is true. I believe that even though Jesus was not personally here in the, in the physical when Peter denied him three times, I believe Jesus felt it in his spirit. Why do I say that? Because if Jesus was in tuned enough, in tune enough to the spirit to be able to prophesy that you will not only deny me one time, not two times, but three times, and he was able to tell him, you are going to do this before the rooster crows, and it happened, just the way he said it was going to happen, I believe the moment this man said that the third time and that rooster crowed, Jesus' heart dropped. 
abandoned. Abandoned by someone who he had cared for, someone that he, he had loved beyond measure. I want you to say something with me. Say this. What do you do when a person or the people closest to you abandon you, especially when they told you to your face that it was something they would never do? When someone who's closest to you has told you to your face that they would never abandon you, but then they turn around and do it, what do you do? Oh, yeah, he stood there at the altar. He said, I do. And he said that he would always be with you. And he said he'd always be by your side. Yeah, she stood at the altar and said that. She said, I do. She said that you're always going to be together. She said that she was never going to go anywhere. He said that you were in business together and that you guys would always be down through thick and thin. She said that she would support you in your decision. And in that support, she would be with you every step of the way in your journey. They told you, listen, I know we're best friends. We've always been best friends, and we're going to be best friends for the rest of our life. You know what they said? They said, listen, I am your mother. I will always claim you as my own. I will always welcome you with open arms. I will always be there to help you. They said, I'm your father. I will always claim you as my own. I will always be there with open arms. I will always be there for you. Hey, I'm your child. You know I got you. I will always be there for you. I will always be there to support you. I will always be there to give you what you need. All of those promises they made was when times were cool. All those promises they made when, when everything was looking up. All those promises they made when there were no tough times around. There was no hardship. There were no challenges. But when life turned up the heat, when it got a little warm, when it got uncomfortable, when it got inconvenient, you looked around and you expected to see them standing beside you, but nobody was there. Even though they told you to your face that they would never abandon you made promises during the, the cool time, but when the high heat showed up, they abandoned you. The question is, what do you do? Is your faith now for sale? When you feel that abandonment in your heart, is your response to do something ungodly? Is your response to do something against what you know God would have you do? Simple question. Is your faith now for sale? Jesus is standing at this point, and he still has a grip on his faith. Through all of that abandonment, 
His answer to the question of whether or not his faith is for sale is still no. Our answer should be the same. We still have this 10% of us in our role play. We're still walking with Jesus. Whoever the 10% are, I'm not going to say which one is still the 10%. But we're still walking with Jesus. I told you, though, that was pregame fire, preliminary stuff. Things are getting ready to get a little hotter. After he goes through this initial beating and spitting and slapping, they ultimately take him and put him before the governor, Pilate. And at this point, things get a little hotter. Notice this. Matthew chapter 27, easy to read, verses 22 through 31. Quickly, Pilate asks, so what should I do with Jesus, the one called the Messiah? All the people said, kill him on the cross, kill him on the cross. Pilate asks, why do you want me to kill him? What wrong has he done? Now, this is important because Pilate is not stupid. He knows when somebody is getting railroaded, when somebody is being brought in on some Trump, on just trumping up a whole bunch of charges on somebody who hasn't done anything deserving of being killed. But the people apply the pressure. He's trying to do everything he can to hopefully get Jesus some wiggle room, but the people would not allow any wiggle room. They say, kill him on a cross. Pilate asked, why do you want to kill him? What wrong has he done? But they shouted louder, kill him on a cross. Pilate saw that there was nothing he could do to make the people change. In fact, it looked as if there would be a riot if he didn't give them what they wanted, which is Jesus' blood. So he took some water and washed his hands in front of them all. He said, I am not guilty of this man's death, you are the ones who are doing it. And the people answered, we will take full responsibility for his death. You can blame us and even our children. Amazing statement there. You can blame us and even our children. But let's read a little farther. Then Pilate set Barabbas free, who was really the criminal, and he told some soldiers to beat Jesus with whips. Then he handed him over to the soldiers to be killed on, the cross, on a cross. Then Pilate's soldiers took Jesus into the governor's palace. All the soldiers gathered around him. They took off Jesus' clothes and put a red robe on him. Then they made a crown from thorny branches and put it on his head. And they put a stick in his right hand. They, then they bowed before him, making fun of him. They said, we salute you, king of the Jews. They spit on him. Then they took his stick and kept beating him on the head with it. They took his stick and beat him on the head with it. After, after they finished making fun of him, the soldiers took off the robe and put, on his clothes, put his clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be killed on a cross. They whipped him, put a thorn on, thorny branches on his head for a crown, beat him with a stick, spit on him, all that stuff. And then it says, then they led him away to be killed on the cross. By the time we get to the be killed on the cross part, 
most of us have all, all the rest, we've checked out. The rest of that 10% is already gone. The rest of us have already checked out because the fire has gotten too hot. Now, historians tell us that, you see what it says, whip? That what they beat Jesus with is something that's akin to a cat of nine tails. Let me show you what that looks like. You may have seen this already. Not a basic whip. Some just call it the cat to shorten it up. Essentially, it's a multi-strand whip that has metal or glass or sharp stones or one has barbs on it. And it's designed to stick in your flesh like a tiger claw. And when you pull it back, it rips out flesh. And there's nothing magical to the, to the word nine. Like the image on the right has bars, but I think it has like 10 strands. The bottom line is, it's designed to inflict pain on criminals. And that, go back to my scripture. The moment the whip happened, the rest of the 10% of us are gone. Gone. Show me my, show my whip again. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I will tell you that I would like to believe that I could have been in the 10%. I could have been in the 10%. Oh, you spit on me, you hit me a little bit. Uh, maybe a little, uh, you know, I got enough in me to be in the 10%. But this mess right here? <laughs> the, the moment, now remember, we Jesus. You, you, look at that. This mess right here is ridiculous. The moment, and, and they say the soldiers beat him with him, I don't believe that they just had one. Like, you know, you hit him, and then you pass it to somebody else, and you hit him. They at least got two. You know, got it on a BOGO. They at least got something. So I'm thinking the people around him got whips. So he's probably surrounded by people. I, I'm, I'm just... I'm just spitballing here. The Bible don't tell us they got five whips. I'm just saying, they're, they're soldiers. This is not their first time doing this. They got their equipment. They got swords. They got knives. They got, they got shields. They got a bunch of these whips laying around just in a bucket somewhere. But I like to believe that I could have been at least in the 10%. But the moment that jump, moment that junk strike me in the back, I don't even know where it came from. I'm like, oh, I didn't sign up for this shit talking right here. <laughs> I did not sign up for this. And remember, we got the same authority of Jesus. So I'm like, as a matter of fact, everybody, all legs stop working right now. Boom, everybody fall down. <laughs> you got the nerve. Who hit me with that thing? <laughs> Was it you? You know what? You going to hell. And you ain't going to be by yourself. All your buddies, all y'all going to hell. And I, you know what? I know you're planning on spitting on me. You're planning on hitting me some more. Y'all going to, I'm punching your ticket too. 
You're going, you're going, you're going. The little person that was over there wanted to make me that thorny crown, your little Hobby Lobby project, you going to hell too. As a matter of fact, give me that whip. That's right, you all gonna get it. And I'm whooping tail. Like your mama used to do. I'm going around the whole room. Don't you know this doggone thing hurt me? You don't hit people with this kind of thing, making them cry and making them bleed. What's wrong with you? I'm going to beat you until I'm tired, and then I'm going to stop and catch your breath, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to beat you some more. Stop crying. Stop crying. Stop crying. Stop crying. I'm going to keep something to cry about. Stop crying. Stop crying. I'm going to beat you like you stole something. Got the nerve to be hitting me with this thing. What's wrong with you? You all going to get something. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Come here, come here, come here. Boom. I'll be beating tail all up in there. And then I'm like, Father, I'm ready. Go on, send them angels now and get me up out of here. They ain't going to make it. Hit me with this mess. I ain't sign up for this. I gave you a pass on the spitting. I gave you a pass on the hitting. I even gave you a pass on the slapping. But now we got, we got problems. If there's any whipping going on with this kind of mess, I'm doing the whipping. And they can't go nowhere because I ain't letting them walk. Oh, you're going to get this whipping today. But that's if it, were, if it were I, if it were me, you know. It's not me. It's not you. It's not none of us. God, God knew. God knew that if they sent us that we would trip out at some point in time, lose our mind, and you know what happened the moment they hit me in the back, I'm not only hurt, I'm crying. And you know how it is when you get crying mad. You just, you just, you just lost your mind after that point. It's like, Jesus, you all right? <laughs> you just, you done lost it. But, but, but Jesus, Jesus endured it. He, he, he endured it. And on top of this, he's enduring it. He's got the weight of abandonment. So he feels all alone. God knew that Jesus was the perfect candidate. But let's bring it in a little closer. Because just because Jesus was able to withstand it, it doesn't mean that he wasn't faced, faced with the pressure of answering that question of whether or not his faith was for sale. He made it through with his faith intact. But I don't want you to get the idea that he didn't feel any of the desire to crack under the pressure of the spiritual weight of what he was going through. 
and we can identify a specific moment where the pressure was immense, and that was close to when he was ready to take his last breath. Here we are, Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, in the easy to read. And then we're going to also read that out of the Amplified Classic. Here we go. It says, easy to read, about three o'clock, Jesus cried out loudly, loudly, Eli, Eli, lemi shabbatani, It's the best I can say it. This means, my God, my God, why have you left me alone? Amplified Classic. And about the ninth hour, three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama bathathani. How do you say it? Sabathani. That's close enough? Thank you. I'm going to get my list on that. I'm not going to miss that word again when it come up. But he said, basically he said, my God, my God, why have you, there's our word, abandoned me? leaving me helpless, forsaking and failing me in my need. Family, we've talked a lot about abandonment. As a matter of fact, the Amplified Classic puts that word in our face again, abandon. But Jesus is dealing with another critical stressor here. It's the critical stressor of loss. Say loss. Okay, here we go. Jesus has always been with God. There's never been a scenario where he contemplates being separated from the Father until now. Let me put it to you this diff different way. Jesus, right here, is facing a scenario where he can see that he's about to lose the only life he's ever known. And the only way to avoid losing the life that he's always known is to go against God's will. Let me say it differently. Here, Jesus is in a position of losing the only life he's ever known. And the only way to avoid losing the life he's always known is to sell his faith. Let that marinate for a second. Because we're coming at each of, a, each, each of us. Say this with me. Jesus is facing a scenario where he has to answer the question, do I put my faith up for sale? So what about you? We've talked about abandonment. But what about loss? What do you do when you're in a scenario where you see the potential of losing the life that you've always known. What do you do? 
For example, take a relationship or a marriage. You have been with this person for a very long time. You've always been a pair. But for some reason, things are starting to falter. Whatever the reason may be. You may not, you may not even know the reason. But you can feel it. You can feel it in your heart. And that feeling is building up in you a distress because it's the only life you've always known. It's the only life you've ever known. You know what you do? To avoid losing the life that you always known, you begin to roll up your sleeves and do all the things that you believe God wants you to do to salvage that life. What do those things include? Notice. You attempt so many things to make it better. You give more of yourself to the relationship. They say they want you to do this, you do that. They say you, they want you to, 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 to dress this way, you dress this way. They say they want you to, to talk a little different, you talk a little different. Whatever, it, you, you, you start doing all these things to make it better, all to save the life that you've always known. You pray more. You, you encourage yourself. You look in the mirror and you pump yourself up. You, your self-esteem is in the tank, but you doggone it. There's got to be a way to save this life that I've always known. You seek God's guidance. You read his word more. You stand on his promises. You even begin to control your tongue. You watch your words. All of it is an SOS. Help me because I'm losing the life I've always known. I have distress. I am in fear of losing it because the life with this person is all I've ever known. And you cry out to God. Go back up one slide, please, to the Amplified Classic. You cry out to God these very words. God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you leaving me helpless? I'm expecting you to show up and make things better, but you're not. Why are you forsaking me? I need you, and you seem to be failing me in a time of need. Go back to my list. I'm doing all kinds of things. You know I'm praying more. You know I'm giving more of myself. You know I'm reading the word more. I'm standing on your promises. I got books and books and books that say what you promised to do for me, and you are sitting back and watching me lose the life, the very life, the only life I've ever known. You ask God this question. Why aren't you showing up for me? Why are you abandoning me? In the face of what you see is a loss that I cannot sustain. I cannot. Having gone through such things in an act of desperation, you sell your faith. To avoid losing the life that you've always known, you sell your faith. And by selling your faith, 
What I mean is you take matters into your own hands. And you begin saying things God never told you to say. You begin making promises God never told you to make. Yeah, you begin taking actions God never told you to take. Because the fear of losing what you've always known is so tremendous, it causes you to sell your faith. Say this with me. Taking matters into my own hands indicates that I value the life I've always known above God. Once you do that, faith sold. And we talk about it in terms of relationships, but it could be a business. And when I mean business, I'm, I'm sorry, you, you can either, you can be a mechanic, you can have a, a, a doctor's, a, a, a physician's uh, practice, you can, you can have a, a daycare, you can have a school, you can make, make cakes and cookies and pies, you can, you can help people by transport. Hey, you could have a church. You can have something where, where, where you counsel people in a certain way or you give them some kind of accounting advice or financial advice. The bottom line is that business has always been a part of you. And you see it faltering. You see it no longer performing like it used to. And it gives you distress. And that distress, because that business has always been a part of you, it causes you to now do things that God never won't ask you to do. You sell your faith and begin to make covenants with other businesses that you never would have made before. You begin to take loans that you never would have taken before. You begin to hire people that you never would have hired before. You begin to cut costs like you never would cut costs before. You sell your faith. You tell yourself, God is not showing up for me, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. You do that to save that business that's always been a part of you, and it's the fear of loss that causes you to sell your faith. You sell it. The fear of loss is powerful. And when you combine that with abandonment, there's a weight that's compounded. And we're talking about relationships, we're talking about businesses, but it goes even deeper than that. It goes even when you have a loved one that transitions, when they die. Whenever someone transitions, a loved one, the people that remain, they are left with a different life. The only life they've always known is a life with that person in it. So this is not the fear of losing. This is a loss of the life that you've always known. And when that happens, when a person loses that person, and now they're standing in a life they've never known before, they begin to petition God. What do they say? I've been there. They say things like this. 
God, why? He or she was a good person, why? They served you well, God, I don't understand why. They were so young. God, I'm struggling with the why. They did so much for the community. Why? They meant so much to me. Why? They were all that I had. Why? We made plans together. Why? I prayed they would get better. Why? Now I'm standing here with a life that I don't know because the only life I've ever known is gone. And we all know that there's a natural progression to how people are to grieve. But at some point in time, that kind of petitioning to God can get dark. And you begin to put it in the light of, God, this is what you did. God, this is what you allowed. You could have stopped it, but you chose not to. So it's your fault. And you put God in the category of unforgivable. And when you put God in the category of unforgivable, and your heart begins to turn because of what he did, because of what he allowed. He took the life from you that you've always known. In your heart, what you say to yourself is, church, I'll never go again. Read my Bible, never again. Pray, never again. Trust God, why? After what he let happen to my mama, no. After what he let happen to my daddy, uh-uh. You saw what happened to my grandma. I prayed and prayed and he didn't do anything, no. Trust God again, believe in God again. You saw what he did to my granddaddy. What about my son? What about my daughter? You know goodness well I was praying. I did everything for him. I've always served him. And he took away from me the only life I've known. My friend? He let that happen to my friend? Never again. Never again will I do church. Never again when I read my Bible. Never again will I pray. And never again will I trust a God that had the nerve to do this to me. Loved ones, faith sold. In your heart, you sold it. You put God in a category of unforgivable. No matter what you say, he's unforgiven. He's blocked out of your heart. You've sold your faith because you blame him for putting you in that position and taking away the life that you've always known. <clears throat> Neither abandonment nor loss caused Jesus to sell his faith. But for us, 
when it comes to abandonment and loss, I bet you've sold your faith more than you thought you did. I'd be willing to bet when a friend betrayed you, you acted in a manner that was counter to your faith at some point. When you felt like you were going to lose a life that you've always known, be it relationship, be it marriage, be it business, be it whatever it is, you took measures into your own hands at some point, I would be willing to bet, and you sold your faith. If only temporarily you began to do things that God never would have asked you to do. And if you've experienced the loss of someone close, I know I have several times. You'd be surprised if you were to able, were able to pull back your spirit and look at you by yourself how many times you sold your faith. I'll talk about me. I've said things to God that if he was willing to stand before me in, in physical form, I would have punched him in the eye. Because when you lose somebody precious, when that person's integral to your life, when that person's no longer here, you've lost the only life that you've known. And it was a life that you adored. But Jesus didn't do that. He held firm. And at the climax of it all, when he's hanging on the cross, when he's feeling the whole weight of everything that he's doing, he still has that pressure, even in the last minute, to crack. But you know what he does? He does something we all should emulate. Notice this. Our last verse. In the International Standard Version, Luke 23, verses, verse 46. He's on the cross, about to take his last breath. It reads, Then Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. After he said this, he breathed his last breath. If you can, really quick, go back up to the scripture where he's saying you've abandoned me. Notice, family, when he's talking about being abandoned, who is he talking to? God. He's using the title of God. Elohim, the creator, the one who's in control of all, the one who sits on the throne, God. Go to my, my last scripture again. But here he says, Father. When Jesus is pressured with the highest heat, when his faith being sold, when that question is being really stressed, he puts all of his pressure and all of his spiritual weight on the altar of relationship. He takes all the pain, all the abandonment, all the fear of loss, and he puts it in the hands of the one he calls Father. We should do the same. When life has us in a high heat situation 
and we're on the brink of selling our faith, instead of selling our faith, we should put ourselves, all that we are, into the arms of the one we know as Father. He realized that he had a relationship with God and that there was no other place to put his spirit than in God's hands. Not take matters into your own hands, put it in God's hands. Not do things that God never intended, but put it in God's hands. Not do things that people want you to do, but put it in God's hands. Not doing things that pop into your mind, but put it in God's hands. If you want to keep your faith from not being sold, you have to keep your life in the Father's hands. So there we have it. Jesus, fully man, but fully God. Enduring tremendous issues and items and events. And in all he endured, he never sold his faith. So now the question comes to us. Knowing that Jesus was able to hold on to his faith through the hottest fire that life can conjure up, what do we do? He's given us a model to emulate. And we should endeavor to emulate it the best we can. Because abandonment and loss can pressure you to sell your faith. Final thing, say this with me. Say moments of abandonment and loss are high heat instances. Yeah. Those high heat instances can cloud your spiritual judgment. They can, they can, they can blind you to who God really is to you. And when we're in a high heat situation and that question comes up, whether or not your faith is for sale, that answer family has to be no. And a good way to reinforce that no is to put all that you are into the arms of the Father who loves you deeply. We got more to talk about on this heat. And I pray that you have enough to reflect on today. I love you very much. Until next time, let's pray. God, I thank you that each and every person here understands that as your child, we have a place that we can come to when things get tough. Is it always easy? No. Especially when it's dealing with things that are close to our heart. When we feel abandoned by the ones we love, the pressure to put our faith up for sale can be great. When we have a fear of losing the only life we've ever known, the pressure to put our faith for sale up for sale can be great. When we've actually experienced a loss that has basically done away with the only life we've always known, the pressure to sell our faith can be tremendous. 
my prayer, God, is our response to every situation that comes our way will be a stern, unmovable, my faith is not for sale. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.